I want to get you back in the mindset of the hostility that stood between Jews and Gentiles. And so I had this picture up here um, of a temple. And just to give you a, a, an understanding of the, the, how it was all laid out um, in that dividing wall of hostility. And so you see uh, the temple building as it's uh, labeled up there. And again, in the very inside, you have the Holy of Holies. And we know that only the high priest goes in there once a year. And then right outside the Holy of Holies, then you have the area, the court of the priest. And so only the priests were able to get inside that area. Uh, and then right outside the priest area, before you get to the court of women, then you have where the Israelite men could go. They could go in there and they could worship, uh, but that was the level that the, the extent that they could go. And then outside of that, you had another wall that was, 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 was around that area, and then you have your court of women. So your Jewish women could get inside this area, but again, they couldn't go beyond that wall. And then outside of the court of women, you see way out there on the, out on the outskirts, behind walls, behind everything, balustrades and all of that, you have the court of the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles, that they love God, they want to come worship God, they want to participate in that the closest that they could get was way out there beyond these walls. They can't get that close. They love God. They want to worship him, but they're not allowed to get that close. And we talked about it. They would have these inscriptions on the wall that said, hey, you cross this line, you die. You would die. You're a religious service, but you would die if you crossed that line if you were a Gentile because you didn't do that. That was the dividing wall that they had, and that was how much hostility that there was between Jews and Gentiles. If I could... Um, illustrate it in a, in a way that was here, that was current. It'd be like me saying, behind this wall right here is a holy of holies. Nobody goes back there except the high priest. They go back there once a year, behind this wall. You don't touch that. Up on this stage right here, this is, this is the court of the priest. So if you're not a priest, then you don't step foot on this stage. Uh, you can't get here. Where you guys are, you're in the building, but you're on the outskirts inside. You're right here. This is the court of the Israelites. So this is where the Jewish men could come and worship God, Yahweh. You could be in here. Outside here in the parking lot is the court of women. So the women, they had to stay outside. If they wanted to hear worship and they wanted to be part of worship, they couldn't come in here where the men could be, where the priest could be, or where the high priest could be. They'd be outside in the parking lot, but they still come to worship. And then if you were a Gentile, You'd be way out there. You couldn't turn into the Columbia. You could turn into the Columbia Loop. You couldn't enter the inner circle of Columbia. So just imagine coming to church and having to sit on the outskirts of the street that wraps around here, the Columbia Loop, and say, this is how I worship. I love God. I come to worship, and this is as close as I get. If I step foot inside this inner parking lot, I, I could die. I could lose my life. But that's how they worship God. They were way out there because there was this dividing wall. There was this tension. There was this hostility that... They couldn't come past. But here's the thing. You and I don't have to sit way outside on Columbia Loop trying to worship God because Christ died on the cross, and he destroyed that wall of hostility. He destroyed that wall of hostility. So you and I that were way out there, we were far off, far away, we could be brought near along with the people, the Jews that were near. We could all be brought near and have access to the Father. And that's what Christ did when he died. That's what the temple veil was torn in two, and he divided that wall of hostility. He destroyed that wall of hostility that there was there. But he didn't do that just for us to relax, just for us to take it easy or feel comfortable and be like, you know what, now I can come to church, now I can sit and hear 
preaching and teaching. Now I can worship God just like everybody else. He didn't do that just for us to relax. He did that for us to be actively building his new temple, actively building his new temple and growing his new temple. And you need to know how to do that. You need to know to make sure that your role in actively participating in building a new new temple, that you're being effective in that, that you're doing exactly what God has designed you to do as a Christian, as a believer of Christ in this new temple that he's building today. So let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2 because Paul reminds us of our status that we now have before God through the blood of Jesus Christ and only through Christ alone. And then also what our current day temple looks like. We see the, the old Jewish temple. We see how they used to worship. We see how it was broken down. But God has a temple today. He has a temple today. It's not a physical temple. But he has a temple today that you and I are actively building. God is using us to build that temple. Let's read it starting in verse 17. Paul says this. And he came and preached peace. To you who were far off in peace, to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. You see the workings of the Trinity right there in verse 18. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So if we take a look at our first two verses, we, 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 we come back to what we talked about last time. Jesus is peace. He's a personification of peace himself. He gives us peace between God. He gives us peace between other believers. He gives us peace. And now he's saying he came and not only was he peace personified, he also preached peace. He preached peace. And this is echoing Isaiah 57, 19, where God says, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. And so God was talking about this peace that was going to come, that was going to heal all things. Here's the peace that he was talking about. It's Jesus. Jesus is coming, and he is preaching peace. And then he tells us that through that, through the workings of the Trinity, we have access to the Father. I told you before, that only the, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the, the, the priest could go into the court of priests. We no longer have to have a priest. We no longer have to have a, 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 any type of um, um, priest, yeah, any type of priest in the way of us having worship with God, having access to the Father. Christ died so that all of us now become priests. We all have full access to God the Father because of the blood of Christ. We don't need a middleman. There's not different levels of access to God. We all have one access through the Spirit because of the death of Jesus Christ. It's not a once a year type thing. We can go to him at all times, full access. Driving around Orange County, you'll see different communities that are around here. Some communities that are open communities, some communities that are gated communities, some communities that, you, you know, they got somebody working uh, the gates there. And so basically what I interpret when I go to those places is I don't belong unless I got access. 
You don't belong either. You can't just walk up in there because you have to have access. You have to have a gate code. Let's just say for a second, you live behind one of those communities and uh, you had to have a gate code to get into it. And you invited me over for dinner. Uh, in order for me to get to your house, you got to give me access to the gate code. And I'm sure if you were to give me access to that gate code, you wouldn't stumble across your words. You wouldn't be hesitant to say, uh, this may be how you do it. Uh, I know there's a whole, whole other ways that you could probably find out how to get in here. No, you would say boldly and you would say confidently, here's how you get to the gate. And then when you get to the gate, these are the numbers that you press in order to get access. How do you know that? Because you're a resident there. You live there. You're already there. You know how to get access into that community because you live there. Well, if you're a Christian here this morning, you and I are residents of God's community. We know how to get there based on God's word. You are there. And so when you go out to boldly proclaim peace, when you go out to boldly proclaim the only access to the Father, we need to have boldness. We need to have confidence with that because guess what? The access that we have is the only access that there is. And it didn't come from us. It came from Jesus Christ. And so we need to boldly proclaim Jesus this season. We need to boldly proclaim peace. And that's point number one. I want you to write it down this way. Boldly proclaim Jesus' peace, which is the only access to God. Boldly proclaim Jesus' peace, the only access to God. And again, we can be bold about it because we didn't do it. We didn't discover it. We didn't somehow come up with this unique code. The only reason we have that code is because of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. And here's what Jesus said about his peace. John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What's underscored here, and we don't talk about it a lot, is although there was, there was tension between Jews and Gentiles, there was also tensions as we have today between different races underneath the Gentile class, right? They, they, they were a whole host of people. They were just non-Jewish called Gentile, but there was racial tension back then. There was ethnic tension back then between people just like there are now. And here's the thing that the, the peace of Jesus does. It abolishes all of that because we're not talking about races anymore. We're not talking about black or Asian or Mexican or anything like that because with the peace of Jesus, it brings us into one race. We're one race through the blood of Christ. And so even if you're, you're talking to people, if you hear people nowadays, it's not about is your church a, a black church. It's not about is your church a white church. Is your church a Hispanic church. Is your church an Asian church. None of that matters. The only thing that matters when you ask a question about the church is does that church preach Jesus? Does it preach Jesus? If it preaches Jesus, then we can have peace. Then we can have access to the Father. None of the other stuff matters because we are all one race through the blood of Jesus Christ. While studying on peace, I found that there are, believe it or not, uh, 1,479 world peace organizations in the U.S. alone. 1,479 people that are getting together, having meetings every week saying, this is how we're going to bring world peace. I don't know how they're getting graded, but whatever. Um, but here's the point with all that. Everybody thinks they have a solution. 
They, they all think they have a solution to world peace. Every one of those organizations, they're meeting, they're talking about it, they're strategizing. If this happens right here, we would have world peace. But for us understanding the only way to peace, the only peace is peace personified himself, Jesus Christ. We can know that, yeah, they might experience some success in their peace plan, but it's not a permanent success. There's not a permanent success because even in the best case scenario, let's just say that they, they achieved peace as they have written it out in their plans. They achieved that sort of peace. There's still hostility between them and God if they're not a believer at the end of this life. And so no matter how much peace you think you experience in this life, there still comes a point at the end of this life where you and I have to stand on judgment day. And if we don't have Jesus, we don't have peace between us and the Father. We have hostility. It'd be like this. I was at a restaurant this week, and they were playing the, the, the Cowboys and the Eagles game, and I was just looking at it, and I just thought, if you're an Eagles fan, you know what's going to happen at the end. You're lost. You're lost. But you might could watch that game and say, oh, they got a good drive going on here. They, that was a good pass, or I feel good about what's happening now. But at the end of the day, you know what happened at the end. You know what's going to happen at the end. So you can't always have this permanent peace because you know it's going to end in destruction. It's the same thing that we have with God is you can't have that permanent peace in this world because you know the end ends in destruction. You have to grapple with that. And so as, 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 as believers, we have that peace that gives us some success in this world. We can see it. We can have our hopes set on things above regardless of what happens in this world. And most importantly, we know how the game ends. We know we come out with the win. And so regardless of whatever happens, regardless of if you're in a slump in life, regardless of if you're on a high in life, you know how it ends. And so you know that you have peace in the end. But that's only through Jesus. There's only one access, one doorway to peace now and in the end. Jesus tells us that in uh, John 10, 9. John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and will go in and out and find pasture. Jot this one down too. John 14, 6, of course, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. No, you've probably seen it just like I have when you drive around and see those coexist stickers, bumper stickers. I want to rip them off sometimes. Like, I just want to rip them off. Why? Because it, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it can't happen. You see that, that, that T that's on the end that represents the cross? It doesn't coexist. It's not trying to coexist. It can't coexist. Because Jesus says, I am the only access to the Father. So all these other ones that are lined up in this one word with me, it doesn't work because I, I, I'm the only access. Jesus is the only peace, the only true peace. His blood and his blood alone is what gives us access to the Father. And you and I need to proclaim that. We need to preach that. We need to boldly preach the peace of Jesus Christ, the only access to the Father. People need to hear that. People are longing to hear that. You have that access, and we need to tell people that, preach that to people. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to do that?
because we have a unique opportunity this Christmas season where everybody's eyes are on the birth of Jesus Christ. Whether they believe it, whether they don't, whether they just are in it for the gifts and the party and all that stuff, people's eyes are on Jesus. My question is, are you ready? Are you ready? If you were at your job right now and people started talking about Christmas, can you transition that conversation and try to get to the cross with it? Right, by even asking simple questions. Do you know what Christmas is all about? People are talking about Christmas. Hey, what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, what does your family normally do for Christmas? Hey, I got a question for you. Do you, do you know what Christmas is truly all about? Because it's not about the gifts. It's not about the party. It's not about, you know, getting families together and all that. So do you know what the, the real meaning of Christmas is? It would be a great question to ask somebody. Or, matter of fact, if somebody's talking about Christmas, you could tell somebody, hey, do you know that Christmas was, was talked about hundreds of years before it actually happened? God said it was going to happen. God said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Do you know that that's in the Bible? That's in Isaiah. That's in the Bible. It was prophesied way before it happened. Did you know that? Or when people start talking about gifts and all of those things, it's like, do you know where, where we get the idea of gifts from? Do you understand that there were wise men that brought three gifts to worship this king, to worship this baby? Do you understand that's where it started from? Are you ready? Just being able to ask questions. I'm not saying every time somebody brings up Christmas, you're going to get all the way to the cross. But are you ready to ask a question that's going to put a pebble in their shoe? That's going to get them to think. That's going to give you an opportunity to continue to talk about more. You need to be ready. Because you're all going to have interfacings with people that are going to talk about Christmas. It's a great opportunity where we can proclaim and preach Jesus, the only access to the Father, the only peace that we can have in this world. The world wants peace, can't have peace without peace himself, Jesus Christ. Back in our passage, verse 19. Verse 19, so then you are no longer, you once were, but you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Citizenship. Citizenship was a, a big deal. Big deal, right? They're in, in, in Asia Minor, but they are Roman citizens. They are citizens of Rome. That means they have protection from Rome. That means they have benefits of being a Roman citizen. That's some of the reason why Paul didn't get killed in Acts throughout. Obviously, God's had his hand of faithfulness on there, but there's a reason why Paul didn't get killed because he was a Roman citizen. He could say, hey, you, can't, you shouldn't be doing this to me. You shouldn't be treating me this way because I'm a Roman citizen just like you. I have benefits to that. I have protection within who I am. So citizenship was a big deal. So Paul even saying this to the Ephesians, this should perk their ears to say, oh, I, I know what citizenship is because I, I'm, I'm a citizen of a place that is not here, right? I'm a Roman citizen that's over there, but I'm protected. I'm part of that, 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 that empire. And he talks about being citizens with the saints. What do you mean with the saints? The saints of all time. We're being citizens with the saints of all time. Yes, right now God is building his church, and that is separate from Israel, though, though separate from those things. But we are, we are saints, citizens of the same community of all time. But God's building his new temple right now through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he ends with that we are members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. Members of someone's household is the, 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 the deepest intimacy that you could have. Like when you are a member of somebody's household, it's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. 
It's like I, if I continue my, my illustration from earlier, let's just say, you know, you invited me to your house. Well, now I, I, I live in your community, right? I got access to the gate codes just like you got access. I got access to the community pools just like you do. I got access to the tennis courts, all that stuff just like you do. I'm behind the gates. I'm part of the community. However, if you invite me over to your house and I come over for dinner, and even though you tell me make yourself at home, there are some restrictions to that. You wouldn't want me, if you said make yourself at home, you wouldn't want me to come in your house, all of a sudden say, you know what, I had a hard day, let me go in here and jump in the shower, I'm going to jump in the shower, I'm going to go to your closet, I'm going to put on a shirt and everything, and you invited me over for dinner, but I'm going to open up the fridge, I'm going to grab some stuff out of there, I'm going to start cooking my own thing and kick up my feet on the couch and watch TV. You probably look at your wife and say, uh, babe, we can't invite Pastor Kellen over anymore. <laughs> we, we can't. Right? He's making himself at home a little bit too much. I know we said it, but come on now restrictions to this. But guess who can do that? Your kids can do that. Your wife can do that. Right? Why? Why can they do that? Because they're members of your household. There's a whole different level of access that they have because they live there. They're members of your household that anybody else can have. Any visitor coming in your house can have. You and I are members of God's household. Members of God's household. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he makes peace with other people, makes peace with other believers, but then he not only makes us citizens of God's kingdom, but you and I are members, members of his household. Just think about the level of intimacy that is. Think about the level of relationship that you have. You got access as a member of his family, permanent resident status. You and I need to rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that we are permanently members of God's household. Let's write that down that way for point number two. Rejoice in your permanent resident status. Rejoice in your permanent resident status. I mean, there are certain things that residents in your homes can do that others can't. Well, it's the same thing in God's household. There are certain things that God's children, members of his household can do that others can't do. Yeah, there's common grace that God gives to everyone. The fact that everyone, believer or non-believer, has breath in our lungs, that we're breathing, that we got to church or we got to work or we, we have a family. All of those, those are common grace. God gives grace to everyone, common grace. But then there's specific things that God gives, gifts that he gives, that are only for the members of his family. Members of his family. We only have access to that if you are in Christ. One of those things, full access, is prayer. 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 Anytime. 2 Thessalonians 5, 17, God says, pray without ceasing. His word says, pray without ceasing. That means if you're up in the middle of the night, you can call upon God. If you're going through a tough time, call upon God. If you're pray singing praises to God, call upon God. Anytime, pray without ceasing. And then I love this. Jesus teaches us how to pray with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. You know how he starts off the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Our Father. Think about that. Our Father. When you pray to God, you're not praying to somebody that's distant, somebody that's far away, somebody that you're hoping would answer your prayer, somebody that you hope cares about you. You're praying about or to your Father, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That's just a beautiful thing. We should rejoice in that. We can call him Father. And then if you go to the next chapter, Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 7, he says this. Ask, when you pray, ask, and guess what? It will be given to you. 
Of course, when we pray according to his will, but ask and it will be given to you. It will be given to you because you're a member of his household. Then Matthew 7, 11, you drop down a few verses later. He says this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more will your father give good things? The one that's in heaven. He gives us gifts. He gives us blessings. As a permanent resident, we can get those things from God. And if we didn't have permanent residence, we wouldn't get those same gifts without him. We get gifts. We get blessings. We get full access to God to call upon him. He answers our prayers. We can really enjoy, rejoice in this because guess what? All of those things that I just mentioned, it's just a small sample size of what's going to happen for eternity. That's what eternity is going to be all about. Philippians 3, 20, 21. Paul talks about citizenship. He says it this way, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul, oftentimes we read throughout Scripture, he's going through a tough time here, but he's focusing on his citizenship. He's focusing on his permanent resident status. And it's not where he's getting beat up. It's in heaven where he has, he has full access to God, both now in the flesh, he does, and then, of course, for eternity. Some, some of you in here as Christians even spend too much time dwelling instead of, like Paul is doing, on eternal things, on your citizenship on your permanent resident status. We spend too much time dwelling on things here on earth. Things that are happening in this world, things that are not happening in this world, we dwell on that and what we don't realize is it's all temporary, guys. It's all temporary. It's not going to last. And it wasn't supposed to be. This is not supposed to be heaven. It's not supposed to be perfect here. But we dwell on things as if this is our eternal residence. And I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for holiness and fight for things to be better around us. We absolutely should. But again, it shouldn't be our whole battle. It shouldn't be our focus to say, this is all that there is, so I got to give everything to it. It'd be like you staying in a hotel and having, you know, an uncomfortable bed. Well, you're not going to invest in a new bed at the hotel. You're not going to call sleep number and say, hey, deliver it here for these few days that I'm going to be here. It wouldn't make sense. Because it's not your home. It's not your home. You're going back to your home. You're going back to your bed that's designed for you. But in the meantime, can you make adjustments? Yeah, you make adjustments to make it more comfortable while you're there, but it's not your home. That's how you and I need to think about things on this earth. Yeah, we can make some adjustments and we need to be praying about things and we need to be pursuing things and, 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 and trying to see Christ glorified all throughout this world but not getting so fed up thinking that this is going to be something that it was never intended to be. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our permanent residence status is with God, his household. 
piece of Jesus makes us citizens of the kingdom and also makes us households, part of God's household. But the last part of this section is it makes us part of his new temple, his new temple. Let's look at back in our passage, verse 20 through 22, to find out more about this new temple that God is building. Verse 20, the new temple, he's starting to talk about it, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me just start where we just ended. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's talking about the temple. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you might think, well, what about 1 Corinthians 6, 19? We, aren't, aren't our bodies the temple? Aren't our bodies the temple of the Lord? Yes, that is the case as well. But in this context, he's talking about corporately, not individually, but corporately, we are God's temple as well. He dwells within us corporately in addition to, at 1 Corinthians 6, is talking about individually, the Holy Spirit being within us. And then going back up from, from the bottom, working our way back up, verse 21, he talks about the temple. He starts talking about the temple. And just think about the words that he's using because that temple language is relevant to his audience. Because whether they're Jews or Gentiles, they can relate to temple. If you're a Gentile, you can relate to the, the temple of Diana, Right? The goddess, goddess Artemis is, is believed to be to reside in the temple of Diana. And so this is a, a huge, one of the wonders of the world. Here a God dwells. And so Gentiles are looking at this temple. And when he says temple, it's like, I, I know what you're talking about. Jews can look at the temple and they think about the temple that is in Jerusalem. They know what he's talking about when he says temple. So, again, that piques their attention to say temple. I know what a temple is. I can relate to that temple language. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? He's not talking about either one of those. Because the Jews can relate to it, and they can relate to it historically long, long before this temple of Diana. Right? Because they can go all the way back to Genesis and say, well, God was dwelling with man. He was walking with man back in Genesis. And then you even get to Exodus, and then God was dwelling in the tabernacle. And then you continue on in the Old Testament, and then finally Solomon builds a temple, and God is now dwelling in the temple. And so God has been dwelling with his people in different variations of, of, of buildings and, and, and walking with his people. And so when he says God is dwelling with us, they, 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 they can relate to that. But now he's saying God is dwelling corporately in his new temple through the blood of Jesus Christ, through Christians. That's for them to understand now. And, and, and he's dwelling there, and this is how it's built. Verse 20, there's a cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Now, we don't think about the cornerstone being much in construction nowadays, but it was a big deal. It was a big deal in the first century and beyond. You had to have the right cornerstone. The cornerstone was how you centered the whole entire structure was around this cornerstone. And so the cornerstone was the most important piece. It had to be cut right. It had to have a big enough foundation. And every piece that was built from there was built around this cornerstone. They didn't have mortar back in those days where you could, no matter what you slap it on, that it just sticks and it could be a little lopsided and all this stuff. It had to be perfectly cut, almost like a game of Tetris, and it had to fit perfectly in order for this building to stand. So the cornerstone was foundational. The cornerstone was the most important piece of any building. And he's saying the most important piece of God's new temple that he's building is the cornerstone, and that's Jesus. 
And then he says the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. And just even in that wording that he uses there, apostles and prophets versus prophets and apostles, lets us know that he's talking about the New Testament time. He's talking about it goes from Jesus to the apostles to the prophets and then on. Right? And so we can see he's talking about New Testament here. But then he says there's a cornerstone and then there's the foundation. Some of these foundational building blocks were as, as long as this stage. Right? This stage is 29 feet long. They were up anywhere close to 28, 28, 28 to 29 feet long. So picture this top stage right here being a big block that was foundational piece of the temple. And it was that size and that's where it would start. And then it would build up from there. And every piece would perfectly fit to form any structure, but it would perfectly fit in our context here to form God's temple. And that is how he is building our temple, his temple, through us. Carrying on with my illustration, being a, a permanent resident. So uh, you, you've kicked me out of your house, but now we're just talking about the permanent residents that live in your house. All the permanent residents that live in your house, they have responsibilities. That's one thing about being a resident is if you're going to live here, you all have responsibilities for the upkeep of the house. It might be taking the trash out. It might be doing the dishes. It might be making up your beds. It might be cleaning the floors. It might, we all have responsibilities within the house that we are residents of. As residents of God's household, we all have responsibilities too that he's given us. And it all is under the, under the umbrella of glorifying God. Right? And we are living the life that we saw lived by Jesus, and we can read that Jesus lived, that the apostles lived, that the prophets lived, that the, the, the Christians before us, we are imitating others as they imitate Christ. And as you can see that, even through that, the, the, the temple starts, the temple building starts with Christ being the cornerstone. So he's the most important piece. He's the one that shines light to every other piece of the temple. And you and I have a responsibility to be active in building that temple. It's not for us just to be saved and then sit back and relax. It's to be active and continuing to build God's temple. Because guess what? He's going to use you to continue to you build other blocks. You're going to share the gospel with somebody. You're going to lead somebody to Christ. And then all of a sudden, that's going to be another block that's perfectly added to God's temple. And he's going to continue to grow his temple with new believers that are perfectly shaped, perfectly gifted for his glory and his honor to achieve his mission and his purpose. And you and I are to be active in the building of that, active in adding new blocks. That's point number three for us this morning. Be active in building God's new temple. Be active in building God's new temple, spiritual temple we're talking about, God's spiritual temple. And just think what a privilege it is that God is saying, I'm going to use you and how I've shaped you and how I've molded you to be part of my new temple building. He's going to use you. That is a great gift that we get to do. But oftentimes as Christians, we can have this I have to do it attitude, right? I have to go to church. I have to go to men's Bible study. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to do all these things. Just even in our language, you and I as men, we need to scrap that because it's not a have to. We get to. We get to go to church. We're not way out there on the Columbia Loop sitting in there trying to hear what they're saying about worship. We get to be hearing the teaching of God's word. We get to open up the Bible. We get to pray to God and he answers us. We get to be in fellowship with other believers. should never be a have to. should always be rejoicing because we get the opportunity to be used by God. Peter helps us to understand that well in 1 Peter 
chapter 2, if you can get there quickly, turn there. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12, let me read this because Peter gives us an understanding of our roles. When we say building blocks, when we say stones, building stone, it doesn't mean we're just, we're, we're, we're just stationary. We're active, active, constantly seeking ways to continue to have God build his temple through us. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, he says, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, being rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, you and I, we're like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Again, this was prophesied way before, hundreds of years before. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. You can have Jesus, you can have the blood of Jesus, and it can give you access to the Father. It can give you peace, or guess what? It's going to give you a hard time in this life because you can't shake it. It's the only way to peace. Continuing on in verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word. That's why they stumble. They disobey the word, what God is telling them to do, and they were des- that they were de- as they were destined to do. But you, verse 9, are a chosen race. Right? We're one race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, God, who calls you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Again, that's not who we were. You weren't born into this. You didn't always have access to God. It wasn't something that you earned. You weren't those people. But now, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you've received mercy. What does that mean for us? Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when, not if, not if, when, when they do that, when they speak, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's how God is using us, so that he may get the glory to continue to build his spiritual temple that he's building right now. You and I are part of that building of his spiritual temple. We're not just a stone that sits, but we're actively building with our lives God's using your life. God's using your words. God's using your actions. God's using the people that he surrounded you with to build his temple. That's how he's building his temple today. A few years before I came into ministry, I turned down an opportunity to interview for a position that I aspired my whole career to get. It was finally here. There was an opportunity to interview for it. They called me, and they said, here's the details with the interview. And I said, I don't want it. And I hung up the phone and I said, what did I just do? I did. And, and, and I'm not saying this because all of a sudden I had this, 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 this revelation of this needs to happen. I honestly didn't know what I was doing, but I just knew God at that point in time in my life was working enough in my life and was showing me enough in my life that he, he had me here for a purpose. 
And so I didn't know why, but I said, no, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I, I just pass it up to somebody else. And now I can look back, of course, years and years later and say, I, I see what God was doing. He even gave me that, 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 that desire to say, no, I don't want that anymore. That sacrifice to say, here's something that I thought I was working my whole career for to get. It was finally laid out in front of me to say, here's your opportunity. And I said, no. Not because of anything that I did, but because of what God was doing in my life. I couldn't say yes because I knew God was working here. And I wasn't just going to go somewhere else. My point in saying that is building, being a building stone, being an active building stone, it's going to come with sacrifices. It's going to come with sacrifices of things that you think should happen for your life, things that you've always desired for your life that God is going to say, nah, because what I'm going to do with you is far more important. All right, it might come with you turning down a promotion opportunity. It might come with you turning down a job assignment because guess what? You, you're being called to serve here, and God is going to use you here at church. And you realize that what God is going to use you for here at church is far more important than whatever accolades or position that you can get here in this life. It might be where your kids go to school. Some of your kids are making decisions about college and those things, and they're looking at it saying, what does this college have to offer? What does this college have to offer? What does this college have to offer? And it might be you sacrificing, doesn't matter what this college has to offer, what churches are next to this college. And if there's not a faithful preaching church, and the church is not making a decision for where my kids go to college, then we may not be able to go to college there. It might have to sacrifice that fandom that they've had for a certain college because there's not a local church there that's going to help them continue to be sanctified. It might be that you never own a home in California. It might be you never have the big home that you want with the backyard in California because God has you here. And you might say, I need to give more money to God's kingdom and God's mission. I need to give more money to the church. I need to give more money to missions. I need to give more money to a ministry that is outreaching for souls. And I'm okay with the house that I'm in because I'd much rather give more to God because that's far more important than me having a little extra land, a couple extra bedrooms. Sacrifices. All because God is actively building his new temple is far more important. And your active participation in his new temple is far more important than anything we can do in this life. Because guess what? At the end of this life, that promotion that you had, that house that you had, that extra backyard or room that you had, all of that stuff doesn't go with you. But those souls that you impacted, the way that you impacted God's kingdom, the way that you helped build up the body of Christ, all of that stuff is eternal. Because it is all part of the workings of seeing souls saved. Every little piece of it. I mentioned parking earlier, but parking is part of it. When a guest can get in here and they can drive into a parking spot and they can be warmly greeted by a man that is leading them into the church, that helps them get into the church and helps them meet other people. It helps them hear the gospel being preached. It helps them get connected here. And then all of a sudden you have a new creation in Christ because they were able to find a parking spot and they didn't just drive away. There's no small spots, big spots, all that stuff. We all need to be serving. We all need to sacrifice to make sure that we are actively participating in building God's new temple. When you're willing to make those sacrifices, God is working. God is working, and he will bless you in those sacrifices, far beyond all the little, you know, meaningless things that you get here, a few extra dollars, a, a good feeling for a season. He'll bless you immensely 
but it's going to require sacrifices of what you want to do. But he will use you. Paul wants his readers to understand that, that Jesus, his impact, his death, it impacts everything in this life. It brings peace in this life through the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants his readers to understand that. He spends this whole entire section talking about the gospel, this whole entire chapter. He starts off at the beginning, remembering who you once were. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, made you alive again with Christ, together with Christ. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. It wasn't anything you did. By grace you have been saved. And then he's continuing to use us for good works that he's built beforehand. Right? He's had them all laid out so that we may walk in them. And then he reminds us even corporately, again, you were once far off. You were way out there. You were trying to worship God, but, again, you couldn't get inside the Columbia Loop. You couldn't get close to worship God. But Jesus' blood on the cross demolished all of that. It destroyed that dividing wall of hostility. And then those of us that were far off, those of us that were near, we're all one access to God. We're all one race. And God is using us to build his temple today. The same dwelling place we see in the Old Testament, God has that same focus on the temple, and it's through you and I that he's building that temple. And if you are not a believer here, if you are not a Christian, if you are someone that has, you're rolling the dice thinking you got time tomorrow, you got time next month, you got time in another year or something, you don't have that time. It could end for you today. It could end for you today. And you could be on the wrong side of eternity. Don't let that be the case. Don't be far off. Don't be far out there. Be brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't be in hostility with God. Be at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And make that profession of faith that you're going to surrender your life to Christ today. What does that mean tomorrow, next month? I don't know. I don't know. But I guarantee you, you can ask other believers, God will lead you every step of the way. He'll show you exactly what that means. But you need to make that sacrifice first to say it's not about what I want in this life. It's not about what I want to do. It's about what does Jesus want me to do. Make that sacrifice. And if you are a believer here, we need to hear this. And we need to be active participants in building God's temple. Active participants. Planting seeds. Putting pebbles in people's shoes by asking them questions. Getting them to think about what real peace is. And that peace that gives us access to God the Father. And when we do that, God will continue to use this church, God will continue to use you to build his temple. I just pray this Christmas season we would all do that and do that well. Let's pray. God, thank you for choosing to use us. Although we are not worthy, we are not polished, we are broken people, but you have chosen to use us for your glory and your honor to build your temple. Just the same temple that was talked about in the Old Testament. Same, same dwelling place that you had with uh, the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness, in the tabernacle. You are dwelling with us as believers, one race in Christ, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would all have just ways that we can preach peace top of our mind as you've given us a season where everybody is thinking about Jesus. Lord, give us the, the boldness to preach peace. And, Lord, keep using us and help us to remember that regardless of whatever happens in this life, that we are permanent residents with you in your household. We have intimacy with you, and we have full access to you, and we thank you for that. Lord, use us and use us well, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.